electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Well, there it is. Record close for the NASDAQ and the S&P. Even the Dow decided to do something in the last hour, closing the green. This marks the first new closing high for the NASDAQ since 2021. So that's the scorecard on Wall Street, but winners stay late. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm John Fort. Morgan Brennan is off today. The major average is now higher for a fourth straight month, with the S&P and NASDAQ posting their best monthly returns since November. Now get set for another busy hour of overtime earnings. We're going to break down the results from HPE, Dell, Zscaler, Autodesk, SoundHound, uh, as soon as they're released, get Elastic in there too, maybe. But we're going to begin with our market panel. Joining us now is Dan Greenhouse of Solus Alternative Asset Management and CNBC Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli back with us. Dan, great to have you here on set. So market today, reaction to better than feared PCE. Yields are down. All the major indices up. Dow was dragged down for a while by Boeing and Goldman. What does this moment mean as far as believing in this market? Yeah, listen, there are a lot of people who are not believers in this market and haven't been for quite some time now. I don't know that new highs are going to do anything except reinforce uh, a lot of the negative stereotypes that this group has for the market. But from my standpoint, I think points that have been made on air today include you have strong performance from the home builders, from a number of tech names outside of the Magnificent Seven, uh, from train technologies in the industrial space, from GE, a number of healthcare companies, not just Lilly, but how about Merck? I think there's a broad swath of stocks and, and industries that are doing quite well that are helping drive these gains across markets, not just the NASDAQ, but more generally. Okay, Mike Santoli, we're about to get some fresh information from from these earnings from Dell HPE NetApp. We're going to see who's getting a lift from AI, maybe like Supermicro, Pure Storage versus who's not. Same with Elastic and Zscaler on enterprise efficiency. You know, when, when it comes to security, CrowdStrike bad, Okta Nutanix good on that. And then we'll get a look at Autodesk as well as uh, applications and construction, that business play out because construction management, you're using a lot of Autodesk. I mean, what has the overall message been in some of these technology names? Semiconductors had another strong day and software has been doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, the, the buying panic in semiconductors took like three days off and then it resumed today and it didn't seem to necessarily be uh, triggered by a heck of a lot in the way of the earnings reports. But I do think in general, we're in this mode of investors are craving the next play on the big themes because the, 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 the absolute obvious ones have had their run to a, to a fair degree. But I also think it's very notable that when you've been hitting these air pockets in earnings reports, something disappoints and it, it, it goes down a lot. Um, you're not necessarily seeing it spread more broadly. And that just shows you the general more forgiving tone of this market. The fact that people are allowing equity exposures to go up. They're riding the positive trend and allowing uh, essentially rotation to take the place of outright 
selling. Now, that's been a great story. Uh, a lot of the things that we feared coming into this year, either that the market was too dependent on a few huge stocks or that the Fed was going to have to cut rates soon to, to rescue this market or any of that, it's all gone by the wayside. The question is, what's next? And what, you know, what's going to be the next kind of impetus to get us well through these landmark levels that we're now hitting? Yeah, I do want to mention Autodesk numbers have crossed. We are going through them right now. Dan, while we, while we await going into that, how do you play industrials here? Uh, S&P sectors up, I think, about 25% almost from the October lows, touching a 52-week high today. Yeah. Listen, uh, there are two main themes that get most of the attention in markets right now. It's the GLPs, Eli Lilly, and it's obviously AI writ large. We're going to talk about that, I assume, when Dell reports. But this other narrative in markets that gets considerably less play is just the, the amount of money that's being spent on electrification, grid reinforcement, EV charging, et cetera, et cetera. And there are a number of companies in the industrial space that the stocks of which are, are benefiting enormously, not just from government spending, but the incentives that are being aligned to drive private sector investment in a number of these names, on building out data centers, on doing all the other things I just mentioned. You can look at charts of, I mentioned train technologies earlier, look at Eaton, um, look at Vertiv. There's a whole number of, a whole group of companies that are doing phenomenally well that are getting much less attention from markets. And when you look at, if we could throw up a chart of the XLI, um, it looks like a tech stock right now and, and not for nothing. Mm. There's, there's underlying fundamental drivers uh, pushing those markets higher. All right, and, and we've got to hold on those Autodesk numbers out. Pippa Stevens has them. Pippa. Hey, John. Autodesk shares are higher here after beating on the top and bottom line for the fourth quarter, earning an adjusted $2.09 per share. That was $0.14 cents ahead of estimates. Revenue coming in at $1.47 billion, also ahead of the $1.43 billion expected. Now, for, the, for Q1 and full year, the EPS guide was a little bit short of expectations, but the Q1 and full year revenue numbers coming in ahead of analyst estimates. That stock up now 5.5%. John? All right, uh, Pippa, thank you. Uh, HPE, Zscaler numbers are crossing as well. We are looking at those. As a matter of fact, uh, Steve Kovac is done looking at HPE. Steve, how do they look? Hey there, John. Yeah, it's uh, some mixed results here. Um, let's talk about uh, EPS first. That is a beat, though. 48 cents adjusted versus the 45 cents adjusted street was looking for. Uh, but you see shares falling here. We got miss on revenue, uh, $6.76 billion versus the $7.11 billion the street was looking for. And also guidance, uh, missing expectations here as well for the second quarter. Uh, a miss here at uh, 36 to 41 cents. Uh, street was looking for uh, bigger than that, even on the high end, 45 cents adjusted. And revenue guidance it's also missing. They're looking at a range here for $6.6 billion to $7 billion. Uh, they were, uh, Street was looking for slightly above that at $7.1 billion. Um, I also caught up with uh, CEO Antonio Neri on these uh, results and blaming um, several factors here uh, for these missing. But what really stuck uh, out to me, John, is uh, short supply of NVIDIA GPUs is a big headwind. Let me tell you what he told me. Quote, in our case, we are buying directly from NVIDIA in on behalf of the customer. And then obviously we have to wait for the lead times. We've seen improvement, but not enough from the size of the order book that we have. So long story short, not enough NVIDIA chips out there for HPE to get done what they need to get done, guys. All right. Well, Jensen giveth and Jensen taketh <laughs> away, depending on the company, I guess. <laughs> Supermicro, Dan, yeah. didn't seem to have this problem. No, that's they right. got a lot of NVIDIA chips. They sell high-end hardware, so maybe they got prioritized here. But you're seeing a, a bifurcation between those who have an AI story and the supply 
to, to fulfill their customer book and those who don't. Yeah, the HP story is a little bit to do with enterprise IT spending, uh, and they're suffering a little bit there, whereas Dell, which we're going to hear from also at some point, uh, they, they have these AI servers, the, the demand for which is enormous. The company mentioned on the last call that they saw the pipeline tripling for, for, for that um, that segment of the business. And then you have Zscaler, which we haven't talked about yet, which I'm looking at the earnings uh, phenomenal there. So there's clearly a bifurcation, you know, which is not unusual. There's always going to be winners and losers. But I think the AI story right now is so dominant throughout the market, and not unexpectedly so, um, or, or not unknown to the market, I should say, that it's creating a group of companies that are benefiting enormously, those that are providing the infrastructure, uh, dare I say, the picks and shovels, mm -hmm. a, a phrase no one has used before. <laughs> oh, um, wow, yeah. <laughs> but, and those that just are simply being left behind, and, and perhaps HP is finding itself in the latter camp. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's not a name I follow. I want to mention Dell is out as well. We're going to have the same question about those results. We are looking through them. Christina parts Nevelis has some numbers now. Christina. Yeah, let's just start with Q4 results first. You got EPS of $2.20, which is a large beat on revenues of $22.3 billion. Also a beat, but still down 11% year over year. When we're talking, oh, the company also mentioning that they're increasing their annual dividend by 20% and that they're optimistic about fiscal 2025. But to your conversation just now about AI and PCs, so uh, the PCs would fall into the client solutions group. That was down to $11.7 billion. The street was anticipating $12 billion. Uh, and the their infrastructure solutions group, which they're hoping to continue to grow, that beat at $9.3 billion, with the company saying, quote, our strong AI-optimized server momentum continues, with orders increasing nearly 40% uh, sequentially and backlog nearly doubling. Exiting our fiscal year at $2.9 billion, recall just last quarter, they put that number at $1.6. So now it's $2.9 billion in AI server backlogs. And you can see the stock reacting 14% higher right now. Wow. Christina Parsonevelos, thank you. Mike Santoli, we're seeing a, a contrast here between HPE and Dell. And the, the first thing that jumps out is just, did they have AI-optimized servers to sell? Dell's right. talking about having them. HPE's talking about not having enough. Yeah, I mean, HPE's server revenue in particular was down 23% year over year. It's like half the revenue of the, of the, uh, the, the, the last quarter. So clearly, massive headwind. Just also just basically the legacy businesses on, in runoff mode. So, yep, that's the difference. I would have thought that the bar was pretty high for Dell in terms of how the stock might react because it has been extremely strong for a while. The market's in on the joke that they uh, are pretty well positioned, it would seem here, even though it's not an expensive stock at all. It still has that kind of old tech. Uh, multiple on it. All right. Uh, let's see how Zscaler is doing. Dan Greenhouse mentioned it. Steve Kovac is ready with the numbers. Steve? Yeah, John, big beats here. Uh, EPS coming in at 76 cents adjusted. Street was looking for 58 cents adjusted. And also revenues, a pretty he healthy beat there at 525 million versus the 507 million adjusted. Also, I would say uh, guidance for Q3, very strong. It's unclear why shares are still down quite significantly here, 7%. So I'm going to keep digging through. Uh, but there's your top and bottom line numbers there, John. All right. Thank you, Steve Kovac. Dan Greenhouse, there might not be a reason in there. Sometimes these stocks move in crazy ways. Well, in overtime, right? Nutanix went down and then it went up, sure. right? Listen, Zscaler is a $250 stock. They're going to earn three bucks next year. So it's not exactly a cheap stock. There's not a value play. And, and when you are trading at that level of a multiple, 
without commenting on the earnings or the value of the company as an investment, uh, a 6% drop after hours, even an inline report, might be sufficient to drive that, mm. that type of a result. Well, on this one, we're going to want to hear from the CEO. And not, not today, though. Jay Chowdhury is going to break down these results in exclusive tomorrow right here on Overtime. Uh, Mike, we've seen uh, different storylines playing out in software, particularly in security, during this earnings season. CrowdStrike had a report where not only did... Uh, did uh, no, sorry, Palo Alto Networks had a report where not only did it go down, it brought down CrowdStrike and Zscaler, but then they kind of bounced back from that. And now you got some choppy action in Zscaler with this report in overtime today. Yeah, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be a test of what I said earlier about how you've had these little mini blowups that have not necessarily held back the overall subsector for a while. And so we'll see if that if that does play out. I mean, I'm looking at things like Snowflake today. It didn't really seem to uh, have coattails in terms of how the rest of uh, the market reacted. So I don't know. At some point, it does feel as if people are getting a little bit overzealous in applying kind of an AI story on a lot of different things. And you're going to have to separate the bogus ones from the real ones. Uh, and, you know, this is part of that process. I feel like we're in the market right now in this meta sort of way, uh, Dan, because we were trying to talk about industrials and then all of these AI related earnings started coming out and we started paying attention to that instead. So when you look at where there's relative value, how does technology look and sort of this AI trade versus what you see in industrials, even though we've got industrials, a lot of them trading near 52 week highs? Sure. Uh, well, the, the thing with the thing with value is uh, well, let's take Dell and HP, for example. Both of these stocks are quite cheap. Hewlett-Packard is actually cheaper, I believe, than Dell. Dell is called it a 15 times multiple. HPE might be a single-digit multiple. And obviously, after posting earnings, Dell is up 15% and HPE is down 6 So value is relative, and it's in the eye of the beholder. It's the famous saying, price is what you pay, value is what you get. So whether it's the industrials trading in the mid-20s or some of the, some of the tech stocks like NVIDIA trading in perhaps the 30s or even higher in some of the more volatile names, you're looking for investments that are giving you um, that are on the leading edge, so to speak, to borrow a phrase, of this investment that's going on. And there's a big debate about whether this is 95 or 99. Dan Ives is a big proponent of this argument on air. And there's a lot of pushback on this, on the idea that the story is much more well-known, the AI story is much more well-known today than was the Internet story in, say, 94 or 95. And that's a larger conversation. But the point of the story is there is tremendous value being created here, and you see it, supply exceeding, a demand exceeding supply, demand exceeding supply, that in the short term is going to trump any relative value argument between sectors or industries. Mm. Well, we got demand exceeding supply of earnings as well, but we still got more supply of earnings. Sweet Green and NetApp, two very different companies are out. Kate Rogers, though, has them both. Kate? John, that's right. And both stocks are moving higher on their earnings reports. We'll start with Sweetgreen. That stock is up more than 8% now. The company reporting a gap loss of $0.24. Cents. We are not going to compare that number. Revenue is a beat here, slightly higher than anticipated, $153 million versus estimates of $152 million for the quarter. Same store sales up 6% in this quarter, also giving an optimistic uh, full-year 2024 outlook with revenues ranging from $655 million to $670 million. That's slightly ahead of estimates. And also adjusted EBITDA, very important here between 8 million and 15 million. Uh, moving on to NetApp, as mentioned, that stock is also higher uh, in the after hours here. Better than expected Q4 beat on EPS. Uh, $1.94 adjusted versus estimates of $169. Revenue also beat $1.61 billion versus estimates of $1.2 
$1.59 billion for the quarter, and that stock is higher by just under 10% now, John. Back over to you. Kate, thank you. Mike Santoli, uh, whoa, we got another one. Soundhound AI earnings are out. Pippa Stevens has those. Pippa. Hey, John. So Soundhound is lower in extended trading, although it did gain 17% earlier today. So take that with a grain of salt. It was a top and bottom line miss, reporting a $0.07 loss that was $0.01 cent larger than expected. Revenue coming in at $17.1 million, a little bit short of the $17.7 million the street was looking for. Revenue guidance for the full year essentially in line. The company did say that its revenue was up 80% year over year. They also noted their uh, pace and agility amid this AI revolution which the company says puts it ahead of the field when it comes to delivering real commercial value and the stock up, of course, 250 percent this year. John? Yeah, I got some recognition because of involvement with NVIDIA uh, AI around voice. Uh, Thank you for that, Pippa. Um, Mike Santoli, with NetApp and these results strong from them, it reminds me of pure storage last night, two storage names. Uh, NetApp was really reliant on what the cloud players were going to do. It, it seems like that perhaps is shaping up for them as, again, this AI rush of data uh, creates demand for storage as well. Yeah, um, without a doubt. And, and again, it fits right into that idea of people feeling like they have to go uh, a little bit further downstream to find you know, the, where the money is flowing. And that's g- going into these areas. And these hardware-related, you know, things that have been around a while like NetApp, uh, they don't have the crazy valuations because people didn't presume huge growth rates. So I think that's why you get a little bit of a bump to say that they're, they're part of the story. Uh, although I would point out to something like SoundHound, which uh, the revenue miss was $600,000 in the quarter, and it's a $1.8 billion market cap. So, you know, I think you have to keep in mind some of these things have just been, you know, anointed as players, and it remains to be seen. Yeah, they missed by a mortgage, um, you know, yeah. which is which is says something nice about house, inflation. Yeah, exactly. yeah, well, you know, these days, uh, housing's expensive. Mike, we're going to see you just a bit. Dan Greenhouse, thanks for joining me here on set. Thank you. Well, still ahead, we're going to get analyst reaction to the results from Dell and Zscaler as those earnings calls get set to begin. Plus, new data out this morning showed we were just talking about homes, pending home sales dropping in January. Nuveen Real Estate's head of investment is going to tell us where she's finding opportunities in the underperforming real estate sector. Overtime's back in two. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, 
Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Overtime. Elastic third quarter earnings are out. The company beating on the top and bottom lines. Earnings coming in at 36 cents adjusted uh, versus 32 cents expected. Revenue came in at 328 million versus 323 expected. And guidance about looks uh, bang on in line for the fourth quarter. Uh, Shares, though, you can see down 16 percent. This is a name that some investors had gotten used to blowing out uh, the numbers. So perhaps this is a reaction to that. I'm going to speak to the CEO actually on this tomorrow morning. We'll bring you more from what I learned. Uh, Shares of Dell, meanwhile, we're just talking about that, up nearly 19%. 18% now in overtime after beating on the top and bottom lines. Their earnings report crossed just moments ago. And joining me now to discuss ahead of the call is Evercore ISI's Amit Daryanani. Amit, uh, good to have you with me here. We're seeing this bifurcation I was talking about in who's got more of an AI hardware story, who's got supply of NVIDIA chips, maybe based on uh, demand for the systems and the margins that they're able to get out of them, and who doesn't. HPE did not have uh, results that made investors happy, but Dell does, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the single biggest number that matters at Dell is this AI backlog of 2.9 billion that practically doubled for them on a sequential basis, right? Uh, to your point, they seem to be having the blessings of NVIDIA to get allocations, get chips, and that's only driving a lot of the upside momentum on the stock. So does buying Juniper fix the problem that HPE has here relative to Dell? You know, I, I don't think it does, right? I mean, where Dell is winning is selling GPU-based servers right now to kind of the tier two cloud companies. Juniper is going to give HP a really good presence in enterprise networking, but it doesn't really give them this AI server play that, you know, so far has been dominated by Supermicro, but you're seeing it broaden out to a Dell right now. So when I look at uh, Dell up like this after hours, but also NetApp doing well, pure storage doing well, I wonder if Dell's storage business is doing as well as it should or if it's just, you know, outperforming here and there. No, uh, listen, I, I think you had a great point, which is if you look at pure, pure yesterday, NetApp today, even Dell, uh, Dell's storage business came in at about $4.8 billion. The street was looking for $4.2 billion. I mean, this was a big reason why margins on infrastructure were up pretty dramatically. I think they were up like around uh, 15.3%, much better than expected. And that's really what drove the EPS upside in Jan is actually the better. I think it's a better storage performance from Dell. And you certainly saw that with Pure and NetApp as well. So what about security? Uh, some of these bigger players like Dell, like HPE, like Cisco even, which had a, a rough quarter for earnings, reported a rough quarter. They've got security businesses, but then you've got standalone, what, what they like to think of themselves as best of breed businesses, like Zscaler that reported today. Its numbers were strong, not what investors were expecting, though. How are these bigger names faring versus those kind of newer age uh, security platform entrants? Yeah, you know, it's sort of a great dynamic in security scene, which is it's almost the platform plays, right? And Cisco is only one of the bigger platform plays in security versus, you know, the pure play point solutions like a Zscaler, for example, right? And, And to some degree, I think what you're seeing right now that's helping Cisco is 
the more further away you get from the pandemic, our enterprise organizations are starting to consolidate their security sprawl. And that certainly seems to be helping someone like Cisco a little bit better versus not. So I do think you're seeing a bit more of a gravitation back towards platform assets versus not. Uh, the question would be, does that work up until you have this next big security breach and you need to go to a best breach solution or not? All right. Uh, I'm at Darianani. Thank you. Dell uh, up about, I think it was 16, 14, 15, 16 percent, somewhere well above 10. Uh, meanwhile, check out shares of C3 AI. That stock soaring in the regular trade today after reporting a revenue beat narrower than expected loss in overtime yesterday, thanks to an 85 percent increase in booking. Of course, the CEO, Tom Siebel, joined us on overtime yesterday, told us how the switch to consumption based pricing is helping sales. These language models, when they're whether, whether we're training them, whether we're using um, uh, whether we're doing inference, are using massive amounts of the GPU and CPU resources. So, given the consumption pricing model, uh, this uh, foretells um, kind of substantial increase in top line growth going forward. C3 was up 24.5% today. So while things might be looking up for C3, though, not all good news for everybody in the artificial intelligence space. You can cue that QR code because that's the lead-in to my latest installment of the On the Other Hand newsletter. The question is, are mistakes by Alphabet's Gemini AI model a cause for concern for the entire industry, for the world? You can scan that QR code on the screen to read both sides of the argument and find out. Well... Real estate, just one of two sectors in the red so far this year. Up next, Nuveen Real Estate's head of investments on where she sees the biggest buying opportunities right now when, overturn, when overtime returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Welcome back to Overtime. New data out today showed pending U.S. home sales fell in January as elevated mortgage rates impacted demand. Pending sales declined nearly 5%, which was way steeper than estimates. Uh, joining me to discuss is Carly Tripp, Nuveen Real Estate's Global Chief Investment Officer, Head of Investments. Carly, I mean, the lack of supply combined with these higher rates continues to be an issue for, for people looking for an on-ramp into residential. But then you've got the office market, which is confounding investment as well. What do you do here? Yeah, what do you do? Uh, that's a great question, John. Thanks for having me today. So on the residential market, you know, it's kind of like no new news. However, what's interesting is that the consumer is really starting to, to explain, I guess, their tolerance for mortgage rates, right? In December, we saw really strong numbers. Mortgage rates had come in about 50 basis points, bouncing around six and a half. As they have steadily come up since then and hover above seven, consumers do not like that, right? And so we're seeing the results of that in pending home sales. So we expect that that is not going to improve. Inventory will remain low until rates come around 6%, in which case your cost to own versus cost to rent margin really, really starts to shrink. How does retail look? 
Retail's doing amazingly well. So retail has been, you know, the underdog of the last decade. And what we're seeing at our centers is increased activity, a lot of demand, increased sales. The consumer is obviously very resilient and strong. That is uh, accommodating to retail spending. 80% of retail sales do involve a physical store, which is a positive for our centers. And not only that, there's no new supply added to retail. Uh, over the last five years, about 130 million square feet of retail has been converted to other uses. So it's really been underinvested in. Uh, so the outlook for retail is very, very strong. So I keep hearing on office, which many people are worried about, that there's the relatively new Class A office that's actually doing fine. And then there's the other stuff, which is some kind of a disaster waiting to happen. How does it look from your vantage? Yeah, absolutely. Winners and losers. Um, even if you look at the public REITs, the large public office REITs, you can gleam a lot by their return to office stats. The office REITs that have really, really super high quality portfolios are above 90% return to office. That's really, really strong. Those with less quality, lesser quality portfolios, obviously in the 60% range, right? So it's incredibly bifurcated and we've seen a flight to quality. But if you walk around a city like New York, activity is back. That said, structurally, long term, we do not need as much office space as we have, uh, which will kind of create this scenario of the haves and have nots. I keep hearing the best as well out there is in industrial, some of the strongest performance. Uh, how are you seeing that reflected in the market? Industrial has been incredible. Uh, it has performed exactly as real estate should perform. Income has uh, outpaced inflation, right? Which real estate is expected to be an inflation hedge. That's why it's such a great diversifier to a portfolio. And so we continue to see, see incredibly strong demand for industrial. Supply has slowed. That was the concern pre-pandemic. However, due to you know lack of construction lending, lack of financing, just generally speaking, bottlenecks in the bottlenecks in the uh, construction system, we expect that demand is just going to continue to flow. Um, E-commerce spending is not going anywhere. Well, you took us around the market, every spot, pretty much <laughs> in real estate. A Carly trip from Nuveen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we've got breaking news on New York Community Bank Corp. Kate Rogers has that. Kate. Yeah, John, we want to call attention to shares of that stock, which are lower by more than 13% now. On two pieces of news here, in an 8K filing, New York Community Bank Corp says that they've identified material weaknesses in internal controls related to internal loan review. As you can see, sending the stock lower there. The company also separately announced the appointment of a new president and CEO, Alessandro Dinello, who is executive chairman of the board, effective immediately. He succeeds Thomas Kenjemi, who stepped down as president and CEO after 27 years but he will remain on the board. And in addition to that, Marshall Lux, a financial services industry leader who has been an independent director on the board since 2022, has now been named presiding director of the board, effective immediately. But once again, the company saying it's identified material weaknesses and in internal controls related to internal loan review, and the stock is lower on that news. John, back over to you. Yeah, after being up 5.5% in the regular trade, uh, Kate, thanks. Now Thank let's you. get a CNBC News update with Bertha Coombs. Bertha. John, President Biden will be speaking momentarily in Brownsville, Texas, where he met with border security agents and local officials to see the impacts of illegal immigration. Meantime, Republican challenger Donald Trump is also in Texas, about 300 miles away in Eagle Pass, underscoring just how immigration has become a top issue for the election. 
The Alabama State Senate passed a bill to protect IVF services after three providers in the state paused services in light of the Alabama Supreme Court's ruling that frozen embryos were considered children. The governor is expected to sign that bill into law. And a former U.S. ambassador said he will plead guilty to charges of being a secret agent for Cuba going back decades, ending what prosecutors call one of the most brazen acts of betrayal in the history of U.S. Foreign Service. Manuel Rocha admitted to spying for Cuba since at least 1981, the year he joined the Foreign Service, meeting with Cuban intelligence and lying to the U.S. government about his contacts. Back over to you. Wow. Bertha, thank you. Up next, Mike Santoli is going to break down the resurgence in software stocks and the names driving the rally. Plus, Zscaler's earnings call is now underway. A top analyst will react to what investor, uh, what executives are saying and what analysts are asking. That's later on in Overtime. Welcome back to Overtime. Well, some say that software is eating the world. Lately, it's been eating well in the market, too. Right, Mike Santoli? Absolutely, uh, John. It has been, although it had a, a real lean period there back in, uh, in 2022. It, was, it fell off this precipitous peak in 2021. You remember the, the SaaS uh, boom and all the rest. But it has come back relative to equal-weighted tech. And this uh, ETF is not purely market cap-weighted. It, it sort of puts a ceiling on anyone holding at 8.5%. So, therefore, it's not just the Microsoft uh, Salesforce index. But it has been working again. Now, Salesforce up today on those numbers last night, uh, and it actually is now reapproaching the $300 billion market cap level. And it's doing it kind of in a vertical fashion, and it's again almost back up to the same market cap as Oracle. Of course, Salesforce founder Mark Benioff had worked at Oracle uh, before. They've kind of been considered in the same bucket, next generation in a sense. Uh, and you'll see the very brief periods when it has happened before that it had overcome. What I also find interesting at this point is 300 billion sounds kind of modestly sized at this point because we keep talking about the trillion dollar plus giants uh, out there. And that's how the market is acting, too, that there's somehow lots of upside because, you know, they're merely at these levels. It's interesting, Mike. Oracle has a hardware play that's been important for them to yep. outperform some of the more traditional names. Salesforce, it was born in SaaS and hasn't had to do that. One wonders how th those players with multiple angles on their story are going to perform from here. Yeah, no, excellent point. And I do think it is very, it is going to be an open question for Salesforce just exactly how much heft you can get and how much scale. Obviously, it's been a roll-up in the past. They've tried to be more capital disciplined. The story is about margins and sharing uh, capital with, uh, with shareholders. And, you know, we'll see if, uh, if, in fact, they can be considered these comprehensive winners uh, like some of the others in there. All right. Software it is. Mike Santoli, thank you. Retail CEOs have been raising a red flag about the state of the consumer. And up next, the CEO of the company that owns brands such as Ergo Baby is going to tell us whether he's seeing a spending slowdown when overtime returns. Welcome back. Many retailers have been issuing weak guidance this earnings season as concerns about consumer spending begin to worry investors. Our Courtney Reagan has some details, Court. Hi there, John. So Best Buy's holiday quarter results did come in better than expected today. Still, the retailer warned of softer sales this year, saying also that there would be layoffs, store closures, and other cost cuts. CEO Corey Berry told reporters shoppers are still dealing with inflation, driving prices higher for things like food and services, leaving less to spend on other 
other categories like consumer electronics where prices are not driven by inflation. Macy's new CEO, Tony Spring, classified the consumer as under pressure, yet there's a resiliency. Denim maker Contour Brands, that CEO calling consumer spending patterns uncertain. And then eBay, it also put up pretty strong results, but CEO Jamie Iannone told me consumers worldwide are looking for value, which is driving its pre-owned luxury and refurbishment product verticals. Retail CEO concerns about the consumer are leading many, including Lowe's, TJX, Steve Madden, and Carter's, to issue disappointing forecasts. Of 140 retailers reporting fourth quarter earnings, 83 at least have mentioned inflation. Of the 22 giving first quarter earnings guidance, 20 are coming in below expectations, while 19 of 30 giving revenue guidance are below expectations. This is according to tracking by LSEG. Interestingly, the retail ETFs, the XRT and the iBuy, are outperforming the major indices week to date. And John, I know your previous guest was talking about how there is some strength in retail. Yeah, yeah, you know, Courtney, such a great overview. And I think TJX and Walmart in particular I find interesting because Walmart, they tend to gain share during periods like this when the sure. consumer's under pressure, in part because they're the biggest player in grocery. And TJX has been doing so well, even though the guides mm. seem disappointing, there are a lot of analysts who seem to expect that they're going to gain share in this period because of the problems at Macy's, the, the, the problems at, I guess, Bye Bye Baby going out as well. Who benefits even as the consumer is under pressure mm. in this kind of environment. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to hear a lot of discussion about that barbell approach again, right? It's it's the lower end and the higher end, but we're seeing some cracks on the higher end, and that is often sort of the first consumer that starts to pull back, particularly when markets get a little rocky, um, the, the higher end luxury consumer. But the lower end, to your point about Walmart and TJX, they do often pick up share. And I think what's really interesting is after the financial crisis, TJX picked up some customers that maybe were actively trading down, but they never really traded back up. And so they've held on to them. And I, I do think TJX has a history of conservative guidance, um, a history of sort of being generally conservative about what is to come, but they still end up often a beneficiary. And certainly if you're seeing retailers announcing store closures, like Macy's just saying, look, over the next three years, we're going to close 150 stores. Yes, they will sell some of that inventory in other stores, but some of it also ends up in off-price stores or other areas when they're trying ultimately to sort of clear it all out. All right. We're going to watch that along with the macro mm -hmm. indicators as well. Courtney Reagan, thank you. Thanks, John. Well, for more insights on the consumer, let's bring in Compass Diversified CEO Elias Sabo. His company manages a diverse group of middle market businesses, including names like Sterno and Ergo Baby. Elias, good to have you. Are you seeing that barbell affecting your business, as Courtney just described? Yeah, thank you, John, for having me on. You know, we've been seeing a barbelling for a number of years um, most of our uh, companies cater to the more affluent consumer. And so, you know, we have a lot of more innovative, disruptive brands, um, you know, such as a Lugano Diamond, which the average ticket price is $300,000. Um, so that's, you know, about as affluent as a consumer can be. We're seeing no slowdown in spending um, in that consumer. And I heard Courtney say that, you know, there is a barbelling, barbelling and some of the retailers are issuing warnings. You know, we just came and reported our Q4. We had great results, up 27% in EBITDA 
organic. Uh, we started out January really strong. So I know there's a lot of fear about the consumer right now, but we're not seeing it. We're seeing our products still sell extremely strong. And if anything, maintaining the momentum that we had in the fourth quarter. How is the omni-channel trend affecting you? I mean, we talk about this at the, the platform scale for these large brands like Amazon and uh, Walmart all the time. But when you're dealing in, in the higher with a higher end consumer, how do you have to adjust to serve them? Yeah, so, you know, our brands are omni-channel. Uh, we have a direct-to-consumer in most of our brands as well as a consumer wholesale. You know, you really need to have all of the channels covered today uh, to be able to meet your customer where they want to shop. And so I think, you know, some of the older legacy retailers are struggling because brands are going direct to consumer right now. And there is a shift in the way that consumers buying patterns are um, are happening. But, um, you know, I think if you have a good omni-channel presence, you have to be able to serve through all of the channels. You have to have good price discipline across all of the channels so that there's not distortions. Uh, and you have to have a lot of investments that are being made, you know, for consumer experiences across an omni-channel platform. Mm. And that's what our companies focus on, making sure that we meet our consumers where they want to be met and that we give them a, an extraordinary experience. All right. Yes, so far, so good. Elias Sabo uh, from Compass. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, much more on today's overtime earnings action, plus analyst reaction to Zscaler's results. And here's a programming note. Don't miss tonight's premiere of the CNBC documentary, Big Shot, The Ozempic Revolution, for a closer look at how weight loss drugs are treating the obesity epidemic in the U.S. That's tonight at 10 p.m. We'll be right back. We've got some breaking news on investment management company Vanguard. Vanguard CEO Tim Buckley is retiring at the end of the year. After 33 years there, the board is conducting a CEO selection process. Meanwhile, also Chief Investment Officer Greg Davis has been given the additional role of president. Up next, an analyst with a buy rating on Zscaler on whether he likes what he's been hearing so far on the company's earnings call. Overtime will be right back. Welcome back. We've got a news alert on Mattel. Pippa Stevens has the details. Pippa. Hey, John. Mattel saying just now that it cannot file its 10K on time since the company has identified certain deficiencies in its internal control over financial reporting and that it's unable without unreasonable effort or expense to file that annual report. Now, the company said the, the issues stem from information technology general controls that management determined represent a material weakness in its internal control over financial reporting. Now, the company did file its Q4 results earlier this month, and it said that these issues they've identified do not impact their previously reported financial statements, and the company does not expect them to impact their already reported results. The stock down now 1%. John? Wow. First, New York Community Bank Corp. Then Mattel, not a great hour for financial controls. Pippa, thank you. Uh, but meanwhile, let's take another look at Zscaler. Those shares are down about 6.5% after hours, despite an earnings and revenue beat. The conference call now underway. Joining us now, Joel Fishbein from Chewist. Joel, it seems to me on the call they're talking about, you know, 500 customers with at least a million dollars in annualized recurring revenue, up 31%, and they're landing and expanding. But, you know, in overtime, the stock is down. What do you say? 
I think uh, two things. Number one, uh, profit taking. Right, stock's been up eighty percent uh, over the past year, uh, up thirty percent over the past uh, couple of months, and I think just people are digesting. Uh, I'm have been on the call. I just stepped off of it. They just got done their prepared mark. There's nothing that they said that changes my thesis on the name. If, if anything, I'm more bullish, and uh, with our two hundred sixty dollar price target. So we, we're buyers on any weakness. Okay, but if you don't have that much yet, and the Nasdaq is hitting new highs, what do you have to believe about what Zscaler can? Can accomplish from here. How long do you have to be willing to hold on to this stock to see gains from these heights? Well, it's interesting because you know a lot of the names that are making new highs don't have profits. Uh, they have a lot of growth, you know, but don't have a lot of profits. Zscaler has uh, you know 35 percent growth. It's over 200 uh, two billion in, in annual recurring revenue, and it just is expanding margins. They're delivering. You know, cash flow, they grew their operating margin 700 basis points year over year. I mean, this is pretty unprecedented for a company this size. And what we see with a company that has a big market as these guys do in, in cloud security, et cetera, that these guys go from being a mid-cap company to a large-cap company over the next you know, five years. So we think this will continue to rise higher. Um, we think over time this will be a $5 billion revenue company with substantial profitability. And, and, uh, and, and that's why we like the stock here. As that plays out, though, I expect investors are going to compare it to CrowdStrike, to Palo Alto Networks, which is trying to make uh, inroads into endpoint security even now. Um, how is it going to compare to those? It's a great question. And I think that uh, I think there's going to be a lot of parallels between this and Palo Alto because they're all talking about the platform, the power of the platform, which is true. We need vendor consolidation in this space. We've needed it for a long time. There's over 3,000 private companies that are, each have less than 1% market share. Um, and so the platform is going to be powerful going forward. Where I think Zscaler is different is that they're coming from a cloud computing perspective, right? Cloud security. Um, about 20% penetrated market. Um, it's Greenfield. Um, they're in a pole position there. Palo Alto Networks, as you know, has been around for a long time selling network-based uh, firewalls. Um, that's a legacy business. Again, good business for them. They sell a lot of attached to it. But they're coming at it from two different angles. And so Zscaler is coming at it from a Greenfield perspective. You just, uh, they had their best net acquisition uh, customer acquisition quarter ever. They added $500 you know, million dollar plus customers. I mean, you're, you're talking about real growth at scale. Uh, whereas Palo Alto, I think, is, is running out a little bit of steam in their core markets. And they're having to go broader inside their install base uh, to get the growth that they need to hit their numbers. So yeah. uh, really talking apples to oranges in terms of uh, you know, looking at it. But I, I guess Zscaler is getting grouped into that group altogether. Okay. Um, we think this is going to continue to be a high growth story over 30 percent for, for the foreseeable future. Well, investors who agree with you have an opportunity then, I guess, with the stock down about 7, 8 percent at this moment in overtime. We'll let you get back to the call, Joel. Thanks for joining us. Uh, in the Thank meantime, uh, don't miss Overtime's exclusive interview with the CEO of Zscaler, Jay Chowdhury. That's tomorrow at 4 p.m. Been a crazy hour of earnings here. Zscaler uh, is down. Dell way up. A lot in between. Hey, that's going to do it for now for us here on Overtime. And more to come. Fast Money starts now. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.